story, but I can relate to this sentiment because it basically sums up the first 40 years of my life. I grew up in Sudbury, an affluent town, but it was easy to see we were one of the few poor blue-collar families. I skipped a grade in elementary school, at the time an accomplishment to be celebrated, but later added to my feeling of being out of place. Our dad passed away from ALS in 1976, so we became the fatherless kids in town, another distinction that makes one not quite right in the world. I led a very invisible life through high school and started commuting to Boston College, which I quickly found was a very lonely experience and, again, not the right fit for me. I met my first husband through mutual friends while working at Digital, and we married after less than a year of dating. I was 23 and can honestly say I felt this was simply the next natural step in our relationship. I had no role models for marriage, nor any idea what being a good wife meant. At 25, I had my son, Sean, settling into the next natural chapter of my life. Unfortunately, the unresolved feelings of emptiness and being out of place crept back in. And I allowed Satan to convince me that I deserved more. So in 1992, I made the decision to leave my marriage. This selfish act left heartbreak and sadness in its wake. But of course, I didn't see it that way at the time. Not surprisingly, the grass was not greener, and I soon found being a divorced single mom to be a very lonely existence. You'll notice I haven't even mentioned God yet in my story. We were Catholic because we attended church on Christmas and Easter and went through the checklist of rites. But God played no role in my life whatsoever. I had friends who prayed and turned to God for strength and direction, but none of that hit home for me. I knew they had something that I didn't have. I knew I had an emptiness in me, but never made the connection that God himself could be the answer. Fast forward to 1994, and Roger and I met on a blind date. Who just giggled? (laughs) He was so nice and respectful and came complete with three adorable boys, Andrew, Robert, and Brian. I was immediately attracted to his commitment to them and his desire to maintain a presence in their lives. After two years of dating, we married in July of 96, a beautiful blended family that would live happily ever after. (laughs) Well, (laughs) since I never learned to be a good wife in my first marriage, I was dangerously naive to think a second marriage would work out just fine. I didn't seek advice from other married couples, nor did it occur to me that if I wanted a different result in this marriage, that I would need to do something different. We built our home in Sterling. We loved it, but the feeling of not belonging and something off came to a head once again. I had made no connections or friends in the community, and at my lowest point, I literally felt like a woman without a country. That's when the Holy Spirit nudged his way into my life. I saw an ad for Joy Bible study sponsored by Hope Chapel, It read, all levels of faith welcome, and no previous Bible study experience required, so it was safe. I wanted to go, but I was too nervous to go by myself, so thank God my friend Pam agreed to go with me. Attending Joy Bible study was my first step in becoming born again. 
God placed many strong Christian women in my life during those early years. Leslie Doskasil was my leader for several studies and remains one of my mentors to this day. Christina and Tamson Jensen drew me in immediately with their music, opening a whole new world of worship that I never knew existed. I adored them both. Our first study was on the book of Philippians. Paul's words came alive and jumped off the page to me. Reading chapter 2, verse 15, hit me like a lightning bolt, that you might shine like stars in the universe, that I could shine like a star. That's what I was missing. That's what I wanted. I worked up the nerve to attend Hope Chapel in the fall of 2006. I kept my head down and covertly sat in the back row. I was so nervous I'd do something wrong or take someone else's assigned seat. I don't really recall the topic of your sermon that night, Neil, but I know for a fact it touched me. I remember thinking, he's talking to me. How does he know what's on my heart? How does he know what I'm thinking? That went on for several weeks, as did the tears of joy whenever a particular prayer or song touched my heart, and I could feel Jesus reaching out to me. I was hooked. I was on fire. I joined every ministry and let everyone know about my new life at Hope Chapel. I acknowledged myself as a sinner and that God was the missing piece of my life. I accepted Christ as my Savior at an Emotional Women of Faith concert in 2007 and was baptized later that year. I was 44 years old. It soon became clear God was calling me towards youth ministry, although it did take some time to discern whether it was his voice or Ken's voice whispering in my ear. <laughs> I, could, I could feel my heart overflowing for these students, for these babies, I called them. And I could also feel God blessing me with the love from them. My 50th birthday coincided with Ken's mission trip to South Africa, so I joined him and headed halfway across the world. This was my first mission trip, mind you. It was so far out of my comfort zone, I could only pull it off by relying on the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly why God wanted me there. One afternoon, I was entertaining a group of children with a particularly animated game of Simon Says. The sillier I acted the more they mimicked me, laughing and falling all over themselves. It was at that moment, time seemed to stand still, and the words of Philippians 2.15 came back to me, whispered by God himself. You're shining. You're shining right now. This is why I made you. God's work nonstop in my life since that mountaintop experience. Excuse me. <laughs> Mark chapter 5 tells of the woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. And when she touched Jesus' robe, he says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your afflictions. <laughs> I realize this is what Jesus had done for me. He freed me of my afflictions. The affliction of feeling like an outcast. The affliction of guilt and shame. Of anguish. Of putting my will before God's. And most importantly, the affliction of being an ungodly wife. Now, 1 Peter 3.1 says... Wives, submit to your husbands so that, they, so that they may be won over with a message by the way their wives live. Well, I can honestly say I never submitted to my husband. <laughs> 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 it 
And laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. So, um, and, and defined it as being weak or being a doormat. I bought a copy of The Power of a Praying Wife, convinced I had in my hand on how to manual <laughs> to make the perfect husband. No. <laughs> Chapter 1, boldly instructed to pray for me to get my heart right. Tell me how, how, how to be a godly wife. I didn't get it first. It took me three or four times picking up that book before it clicked. God wasn't going to give me a godly husband until I became a godly wife. That meant praying for Roger in all circumstances, praying for him on days when that was the last thing I wanted to do. But over, over time, my heart did change. My attitude towards my husband changed. I was becoming a godly wife. I was submitting to him, not as a weaker or lesser person, but in obedience to God. And we were overwhelmed with blessings. I can't speak for Raj. That's his story to tell. But I can, I can tell you that he was becoming a godly husband as well. We've grown closer and stronger, weathering both heartbreak and celebration together. Our marriage truly is blessed by God. Blessed because of our obedience to him and honoring each other as God calls us to do. So finally, I stand before you tonight, no longer a puzzle piece that doesn't fit, but living proof of what the Holy Spirit can do when God is free to do his work in someone. I work hard every day to, to define my life as a life of service and minister to those God puts on my heart. I'm so thankful God has accomplished all this through me and that I've been able to share my story with you tonight. My prayer is to continue following Jesus' instructions to Peter in John chapter 21. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. First of all, let me thank you for being out tonight. If you happen to be our first-time guest tonight, we would love to give you just a little gift before you leave tonight. So they'll be out just to each side of the door. Grab one of those little bags as you're on your way out. And again, thanks for being out tonight because, you know, you've proved that I'm not nuts. You know, whoever heard of having a Christmas Eve service on a night that's not Christmas Eve? <laughs> and so it was pa- I was a little panicky this afternoon thinking, uh-oh, we're going to have like 10 people and it's going to be really a bomb. So I'm glad that you were all out here tonight. And uh, in case there's any doubt about the little glow sticks, those are for the kids to take home. We would not do that to you, try to tear them away from you. So those, were, those are a gift to them on their way out tonight. So we've been working just through a, a real brief Christmas series entitled Christmas Lights. And I want to wrap up that series tonight. We've been, we've been building on a couple of premises, a couple of connections. One is the, just the integral association between Christmas and light, right? From the candles that we have burning in front of us to the lights that you have in front of your homes or wrapped around your tree or in your windows. But we've also been latched on, if you will, to something that Jesus taught us. And that's that everyday life can teach us a lot of spiritual things. Part of the premise of the, of the parables is that you can look at the physical world, and the physical world can teach us a lot of spiritual lessons. And so we've been looking at this issue of Christmas lights with the idea of 
of trying to tap in and figure out from the way that we put up our Christmas lights, and I know that's a little cheesy, but trying to look at it in some ways that help us get to a full experience of the faith that God's trying to give us. You know, and to use my imagery from this morning, we we don't want our faith to look just like this, and a picture is going to come up. You know, that's okay, and that's my house, right? But it's okay. But what we really want is our faith to look like this. That's what we want it to look like, right? We, We want our experience of God just to be off the charts and just to be amazed on a regular basis of what God does and the kind of peace and joy, and love, and hope that we have in our lives. And we process through three different things we have to do. First of all, is we have to, just like when we get out our Christmas lights, there's ways in which we need to untangle just a little bit to let God in. John the Baptist put it this way, we need to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives. And we've talked about that. We've also talked about the fact that that having this kind of experience with those guys, that guy with, that, the, who put up those lights, and he probably hopefully had help, man, he had to have a plan, and he put in a lot of effort. And we have to really take that, and God executed a tremendous century-old plan to bring Christ in, into the world for us. But you know what? None of this happens unless at the end of the day, somewhere on the line, somebody plugs those lights into the power, Right? And tonight we want to talk about what does it really mean to plug in to Christ. John puts it this way in John chapter 1 of his gospel. He says, as to as many as received him, as as many who plugged into Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And I want to talk about what it means to receive Christ tonight. And, And I want to kind of do a little backhanded. And... And because what I first want to talk about and make sure crystal clear for all of us in this room, I want to make it crystal clear what I'm not asking you to receive. And then I want to try to present to you who it is that I am asking you to receive. There's a passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews that reads just like this. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. He is a radiance of his glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I want to back up. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. For generations, God spoke through guys like Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, all those guys. And, and, and God spoke for, for generations through all these other guys. And he got down to Christmas and he said, I'm going to cut out the middleman, and I'm going to speak to you directly as one of you. And God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so tonight when I speak to you about receiving Christ, I want to make sure we cut out the middleman. 
So let me just identify a few things that I'm thinking about tonight. First of all, I am not asking you to receive imperfect Christians. I'm not, trying to, I'm not asking you to take the definition of Jesus that you get from people who don't live out their faith perfectly. I'm not asking you to receive that kind of God or that kind of faith. I'm trying to cut out that middleman. You know, we all have people in our lives who wear the label of being religious or being Christians, and they're not really likable people. Some of them are people you don't want to do business with. Some of them are judgmental. Some of them are critical. <laughs> I had a great aunt who used to say over and over again, I don't smoke, drink, nor chew, or associate with those who do. You know, and that was her, her favorite line, and that was one of her faith lines. And I'm thinking, really? That's not the kind of person I'm asking you to tap into. I'm not asking you to, to receive the kind of faith that leads a person, if you will, to be critical of everything, from the clothes that you wear to church or what you do on a Sunday afternoon after you've been in church. Some of you grew up in places where there was no cards, no movies, no nothing. I'm asking you to cut out the middleman, cut out those imperfect Christians. I'm also asking you to cut out the imperfect church. I've not met a perfect church yet. Probably that's because I've always pastored churches, and as long as I'm there, it's not going to be a perfect church. But I got to tell you what, you don't have to go very many days to come up with stories about the churches that aren't perfect. Seems like almost a month doesn't go by, and we hear of another story of somebody in spiritual leadership over a flock of people is abusing their role, and how the church has covered it up and empowered it or enabled it or cared more about its reputation than about those who it was serving. Some of you have been in churches where you've been criticized. Somebody, and, and accept, I'm not asking you to accept those kinds of churches. I'm not asking you to get your faith from that kind of a place, from an imperfect church. You know, I, I, I grew up among churches where, where people complained about everything, from what color the carpet was to what kind of paper towels they put in the bathrooms, just because they could. I'm not asking you to receive that kind of a church. I'm not asking you to receive your faith from an imperfect Christian. I'm not asking you to get your faith from an imperfect church. And I'm not asking you to get your faith from an imperfect pastor. You know, there, there, there are guys in my role who have fallen. Some of them are big game name guys. For those of you who kind of plug into Christian podcasts and all that kind of stuff, you've heard some of those names, guys who for years and years were movers and shakers in the kingdom of God. And now at the end of their careers, you see that they maybe weren't all that they said that they were, or at least in moments, they weren't all that they said that they were. I'm not asking you to receive those kinds of people. You know, I, I, you know, I, I pray every day, every day I pray on a regular basis, the Lord, just keep me from screwing it up. Because I know when I screw it up, I make it harder for people like you. And, you know, I had one of those moments a few years ago. It must have been, it must have been at least a decade ago. And um, at least a decade ago. We were in the building, but we hadn't been in it for very long. It was a very, very hot day. I was on my motorcycle, and I was forced to make a stop at a Target up in Lemonster. I think it was brand new in those days. And, and when it's so hot like that, the type of motorcycle I had, usually if you didn't have a little pad with you, the kickstand would go right through the pavement. So when, as I pulled up into this thing, I said, I don't want to come out and find my bike lying on the ground, and I don't want to destroy their new parking lot. 
So I went up on their sidewalk and went as far away from the door as I could get and parked my car against my bike against the building and started to walk in. And this employee started walking down to me and said, you can't park there. And I said, really, you know, it might tell you can't park there. And I, I didn't say anything really bad. I just said, all right. And I got back. But I was clearly made sure that my displeasure was known through. And, and, and I just wasn't having a good day. Lo and behold, if the young adult who came up and spoke to me wasn't the daughter of a new family that was attending Hope Chapel. And they never came back again. I'm not asking you to receive an imperfect pastor and the message that he proclaims. I'm not asking you even to receive your idea of God. Some of you sit in this room tonight and you think God has let you down. And there's probably ways in which you can look at your experience where it's been very difficult and that God's supposed to be good and loving and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet you've had very painful experiences, great losses. There's times that you've prayed and you didn't get what you needed and that would have been great and etc. I'm not even asking you, God's not asking us to receive even our idea of God. What he's asking us to do What he's pleading with us to do in Christmas, the event of Jesus becoming one of us, is he's asking us to receive him, only him. And he's cut out all the middlemen, all those imperfect Christians who have preached to you at work for years or whatever, all all, all of the the, the imperfect churches that, that you've heard about or been in. Some of you were in churches and they were boring and you found them useless and irrelevant and that's why he's talking. God's not he's not making his appeal through that he's not making his appeal through imperfect pastors he's not even making an appeal through your own ideas of God what he's making an appeal to you through is by himself directly and that is in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus is God he had all the privileges and all the authorities of heaven at his disposal and because of God's relentless pursuit of his creation He gave all of that up and became one of us, experienced every kind of emotion, situation, and circumstance that you and I go through, loss, pain, struggle, resistance, persecution, feast and famine, and everything in between. He did all of that, and then gave his life up on a cross to die for the penalty that all of us deserve, and then got back up out of the grave on the third day, climbed back into heaven communicating to us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, receive me. Receive me. Because I'm dying to give you the right to to be the child of God. And that's what God is offering to us tonight. And I'm asking you to cut out all the middlemen, because God asked us to cut out all the middlemen. And he has spoken to us directly by his son. And Jesus has said, come to me. All you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. So the invitation that I extend to you tonight on the eve of Christmas Eve <laughs> is to come to him by faith. Some say, I don't really know what that means. You don't have to know what that means. What you have to know is that you're a person who needs a savior, and that God's given that savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And you just have to make a commitment to turn back towards God and walk in faith the best you can. And other people will come along, imperfect people, but other people will come along and help you in that journey. 
If you're ready to take that step tonight, we have some resources out in the lobby in the center table we'd love for you to take with you. We'd also love to get a chance to follow up and help you in that journey. But there's no greater gift that God longs to give to us than the right not to be just his creation, but to be his child because we have received his son. This Christmas, receive God's greatest gift, the gift of being his child. Let's pray together. Father, maybe I should just start by confessing that bad, bad day 10 years ago and the spiritual detriment it might have had on the lives of other people. And Father, all of us in this room have been affected in negative ways in our journey of faith. But Father, we, we are so grateful that you've cut through all the fog and you've spoken directly through your son. And he extends to us the invitation to receive him. And with that, to have as our personal right to be the children of God. Thank you for being a loving father who sent your only son because of your love for the world to be born in a manger in a little town in Bethlehem by a young woman by the name of Mary with an honorable father by the name of Joseph who lived a perfect life, did absolutely everything that you wanted him to do and then gave his life for us so that we might become the children of God. God, we say thank you tonight and we receive him in faith and we leave here tonight as your children. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.